Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, radical. Fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, and individual rights. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, everybody, welcome to Yaron Brook Show on this uh, on this Thursday, February twenty-third. Good morning, I guess noon over here already. Uh, thank you for joining me. I know there are probably not a lot of you on live right now, given the hour in uh, in the United States. It's 7, uh, no, it's actually 6 a.m. on the East Coast. It's 2 a.m. in California. I'm not sure who is actually on here live. Probably a bunch of Europeans would be my guess. Jonathan Honing is on. Jonathan, it's like, what time is it? It's 5 a.m. What are you doing? Um, uh, Justin is asking, who is the guest this week? There is no guest this week. Uh, while I'm traveling, there are no interviews. Uh, it's impossible to do, so uh, no interviews while I travel. So no guest this week, no guest next week. I'm not yet sure who the guest is when I get back to Puerto Rico, so uh, we will see. Um Let's see, we've got uh, Sasha uh, says, Hi, Ivana, I'm from Ukraine, living in Silicon Valley. Thank you for promoting rational thinking about capitalism in Ukraine, etc. It's two in the morning. Aren't you asleep? What's going on here? Uh, Apollo Zeus is up. Jonathan is up. Justin is up. Vlad is up, but Vlad is in Australia. So... <laughs> Cool. All right. This is going to be an international show. Where are my Europeans? It's like middle of the day. I guess this is the difference, I think, between Europeans and Americans. I think Americans watch YouTube during the workday. I, I don't think Europeans do. This is a test. This is a test where the Europeans are willing at 11 a.m. UK time. Tessie is here. Uh, or 12, uh, 12 p.m. Um, mainland Europe time or whether they're listening. I don't, I don't see the Europeans on. We'll see. Luke is on from Germany. Okay, so we got some Europeans. All right. Um, I am in uh, Bratislava, in uh, Slovakia. Uh, I uh, flew into Prague. When, when did I fly into Prague? Uh, excuse me. <coughs> Oi, sorry. That must have been terrible sounding. I apologize. Anyway, I flew into Prague uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I gave a talk, uh, two talks in Prague, one at Severo and one at the Anglo-American University. 
um, uh, one was on free speech and the other one was on um, uh, equal, equal is unfair. Then yesterday, uh, I got a ride to Brno. Brno is the second largest city in the Czech Republic. And I gave a talk at the university there, uh, Morality of Capitalism. Both the talk in Prague and the talk in Brno were recorded. And I hope to have video of that up um, uh, up and available for you guys uh, uh, later today. Uh, well, not later today, but probably next week or the week after that. So we'll, we'll be releasing those. Um, then I've got, uh, then uh, last night, oh, so that was yesterday, right? So I was in Bruno. The talk was at 10 a.m. So we had a very small audience, but uh, 10 a.m. Uh, at the university. Uh, then I got a train from Brno to uh, Bratislava. Bratislava is in the um, uh, in S uh, Slovakia, so this is a Czechoslovakia split to the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Global Balkanization. Those of you who've read Ayn Rand's brilliant essay, um, Global Balkanization Manifest. Anyway, in uh, Slovakia, in uh, Bratislava, gave a talk last night. Um, on uh, the morality of capitalism. I actually streamed that talk using my latest and greatest technology. So uh, my computer, my camera, everything I have right now to do the show, I just took, and, and my new mic, my new wireless mic, which is so cool. I'm so happy I got this mic. It, it, it really is amazing. It's, uh, you know, it, it, I, I can walk around. It, it will go up to, I think, 100 feet. It will still broadcast the sound, so it's perfect for lectures. It's a wireless mic that I clip onto the shirt. Um, super happy with it. So far, the sound is great. I'm talking on it now. The sound is great. Uh, the, um, uh, the what do you call it? Uh, uh, yeah, it worked perfectly yesterday. Uh, we, uh, you know, we taped with my camera. Now I'm thinking, I don't even need to bring the camera because the reality is the camera on the iPhone <coughs> is pretty good. It might be the case that I can just use an iPhone on a, uh, on a, uh, uh, on a tripod uh, to record my lectures. So that would reduce the weight and reduce space if I could do that. So that's kind of the next step, I think, in the evolution. And for that, you know, well, I'm definitely going to buy, I think, a, an iPhone uh, 15 when those come out. So uh, uh, I think now if I start doing that, I'll be really interested in the evolution of uh, the video camera on uh, the video camera on the uh, uh, on the iPhone. Is the volume too low? Erhard, uh, Erhard, who's here from, not sure from where, uh, is saying the video is, the volume right now is too low. Please let me know. If that is the case, I can't increase the volume. Um, and uh, let me just see. Uh, I can't, I know I can increase the volume somewhere here. I don't think that increases it. Yeah, receive a gain. There you go. Uh, let me know if the volume's too, uh, what was TC Sam hat and I added the da da da. All right, I can I can increase it here. Let's let me know if that is better. Uh, let me know if that is. Whoops, that is better. Luke says the volume's good, so uh, you might want to check on your thing. I did increase the volume, so hopefully uh, that'll 
uh, help, but but certainly let me know if, if the volume is too low. I, I am speaking a little softer, both because I'm tired, but because um, it's hot in my hotel room and I can't get the stupid air conditioning to work. It's also, you know, the, the biggest problem of traveling in the winter, and I will get to Ukraine in a minute, I, I apologize, but the biggest problem of traveling in the winter is the, the, the heating in the hotels dries the air out and you, I just get completely dried up and it's, so my, my voice is not completely right, I don't have as much energy because I'm not sleeping as well and uh, every, every day I'm basically traveling. Uh, so tonight uh, I'm flying, I, I have to get a car from, to, uh, from Bratislava to the Vienna airport. Vienna airport is about, it's not even the dry skin, it's dry mouth. It's, Vienna airport's about an hour from here and then from Vienna airport I get a, a, a plane uh, to Georgia. I'll be in Tbilisi late tonight. I might do a show from Tbilisi depending on what happens um, later tonight. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, hydrate, hydrate, you drink water, but it, it doesn't change the fact that the air is super dry. Um, so I'm going to be in Tbilisi tonight. I'll be in Tbilisi over the weekend and then, uh, then Poland. Oh, funny thing happened in Poland. You got to hear this. So I, I was supposed to be giving a talk on Pol- in Poland uh, on um, Monday. I was supposed to give a talk in Poland on Monday. I hope I'm still giving a talk on Monday, but right now we're not sure. Um, and the university told the organizers that I couldn't come. And, you know, which is weird. And so the organizers, what's the problem? And they said, um, I'm, oh, and the talk I'm giving in Poland is about the war about the war with uh, the roots of the Russian war. That's, that's the title of the talk. And the university basically said, he's going to give, he's going to be pro-Russian. We don't want a pro-Russian talk here. And, um, you know, the organizers sent them a bunch of evidence to show that I'm the exact opposite. I'm anti-Russia, I'm pro-Ukraine and so on. Didn't make one iota of a difference. Um, they decided I was pro-Russia, and that was it, and they were not going to allow me to talk, which says a lot, and this is a good intro into a discussion of Ukraine. It, it, it says a lot about the attitudes, I think, here in, um, in Eastern Europe regarding the war in Ukraine, uh, much more so than I think in England, much more so than I think in Western Europe. Eastern Europe is solidly, for the most part, is solidly behind the Ukrainians. Uh, and, and, and solidly uh, committed to helping Ukraine in whatever way they can and solidly antagonistic to Russia. I, I'd say this is even true in, in, um, in Eastern Europe of many of the libertarians. So uh, whereas uh, in, in much of the West, uh, libertarians have been uh, uh, pro-Russia and conservatives have been pro-Russia, I'd say that in Eastern Europe, um, the, the, the Eastern Europeans totally get it. They get the threat that Putin poses. They get that Ukraine here is the victim. They get that if Ukraine fell and that, uh, that uh, uh, Putin actually succeeded, Russia actually succeeded. And, you know, I hate this idea of Putin's war. We'll get to that in a minute. But if Russia actually succeeded... Um, then, uh, you know, they would be next. The, the, he clearly wants Moldova, uh, and once he's in Moldova, why not Romania? Why not uh, Slovakia? Why not Poland? 
these were all parts of the Soviet Union, well, all parts of the Soviet Union bloc, but they, they were all parts of, uh, they were all under the influence of Russia. And his, and his goal is clear. His goal is to resurrect the Russian Empire. His goal is clear to resurrect the greater Russia. Uh, I think that goal is dead now, but, but that, that certainly was the goal in the beginning, and his success would have only spurred it on. Just like the fact that he was successful in 2008 in, in taking a province, two provinces from, um, from Georgia, uh, then encouraged him in 2014 to, uh, to take Crimea and, and the Donbass, uh, parts of the Donbass, uh, and the fact that he got away with that, then encourages him. Um, then encourages him to, uh, to, to take over more. Tazy seems to be very concerned about free speech. I mean, the reality is a university can decide who to invite and who not to invite. It's not an issue of free speech. They're not a government institution. They invited me, and then they rescinded the invitation. I think it's a mistake. I think it's unfortunate. I think they should be allowed, they should allow for uh, a debate and a discussion about these issues and, 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 and speech. But in terms of the right to free speech, there is no... Um, there is no violation of a right here. There is no censorship here. There is just a, a, a private entity deciding not to work with you. Um, so uh, anyway, so uh, 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 Valdrin says libertarians are split here as well. A lot of pro-Russia and some pro-Ukraine. I'm not sure where this is, Valdrin. Uh, where is Valdrin? Waldron in the U.S. Anyway, uh, it, it, libertarians seem to be split, but I'd say that in the U.S., uh, 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 at least the vocal libertarians seem to be pro-Russia. And in Eastern Europe, the libertarians I've met, and maybe it's our self-selection, uh, with one exception in Prague, the libertarians seem to be uh, pro-Ukraine. So it seems at least anecdotally, granted anecdotally, uh, that there's more. But I think, I think Eastern Europe generally, I think uh, the most solidly pro, it seems to me that the most solidly pro-Ukraine uh, element today in, um, uh, in, in, in the world, maybe, is in Eastern Europe, certainly places like Poland. Um, of course, somebody who's pro-Russia still has the right to talk, but they don't have a right to use somebody else's facility to talk. That's, that, is, uh, that is the principle of free speech. The principle of free speech allows me to decide who can talk in my auditorium, who can talk in my university. Now, universities are supposed to be open to everybody, and it would be nice if uh, Polish universities allowed people who are against the war, against uh, Russia, uh, to talk. But uh, it's not a violation per se of the principle of, or the legal principle of free speech. It is, it is of, the, of the cultural um, uh, element of free speech. All right, let's see. Um, so tomorrow is uh, one year since the war broke out. Uh, on February 24th, uh, 2022. Uh, I think to many people's surprise, certainly to my surprise, uh, this is one I did not predict, I did not see coming. I, I, I definitely thought that there would not be a war. But in, on February 24th, uh, 2022, to my surprise, and I think to many people's surprise, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine and invaded Ukraine from a number of different locations, invaded Ukraine uh, uh, from the south, it invaded Ukraine uh, dramatically from the east, the northeast, all the way to Kharkiv, uh, north of Kharkiv and northwest of Kharkiv, 
And then down from Belarus, uh, Russian uh, troops staged in Belarus uh, invaded uh, Ukraine and and, uh, made uh, pretty strong progress in the first couple of days uh, on their way to to Kiev. If you remember, right off the bat, there were significant battles just outside of Kiev at the airport there, uh, where Russian special forces were flown in. The first real indications that Russia was going to have a hard time was how difficult it was and, and how, uh, how quickly they had to retreat from that airport and how many casualties they took. And, and it seemed surprising to them. Uh, I, I think the Russians expected uh, to be able to control the airport very quickly, then to fly in um, uh, airplanes with troops and supplies and use it as a base of operations against Kiev and basically to take Kiev within a week. I think generally um, the expectation of the Russian forces was that uh, Kiev would fall, that they would control Kiev, and uh, that uh, you know the rest would be irrelevant. Uh, that that Ukraine would basically would basically surrender at that point. Um, uh, the uh, at, at 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 that point, and remind me to tell you why I don't like the term Putin's war. Um, by the way, Super Chat is on. I, I would appreciate support over the Super Chat while I'm traveling. Um, I know it's um, not as many people are listening, maybe not the same people are listening, maybe people who, are, who don't have quite the means. But uh, those of you watching after the fact, you can still support the show by pressing uh, like a, a donate button on YouTube uh, after the fact. It doesn't have to be live. And of course, you can support the show on youronbookshow.com slash support or on Patreon or Subscribestar. But I would appreciate the support while I'm traveling. Um, it's not like um, I don't have to bring an income while I'm on the road. Uh, it would be great. And, I'm, and I am trying to do as many shows as I can. So uh, in reflection of those shows, it would be great if we got some, um, some support, uh, realizing it's not going to be the normal levels. Uh, let's see. Um, so, uh, on, uh, you know, on, on that first week, I think almost all commentators, all commentators out there. I saw a lot of a lot of former generals, a lot of military commentators, basically tell everybody the same message: uh, Russia is going to win this. Just a question of time. They might have set back here, set back there, but there's no question this is going to be a Russian victory. Uh, and and uh, it might take longer than people expect. It might take longer than the Russians expect, but Russian overwhelming force is going to win this. And I have to say, I was one of the few people who said. I think it was day two. Wait a minute, slow down. I, I'm not sure this is going to go that way. And and my my main uh, my main point was uh, that both the Russians had no motivation. Russian soldiers had no motivation. Uh, Russian weapon systems were were primitive and uh, and unsophisticated. And on the flip side, uh, the Ukrainians were heavily strongly motivated. Right, strongly motivated, and they were using very advanced uh, uh, Western weapon systems, particularly anti-tank weapons uh, and anti-aircraft weapons, and uh, they were achieving massive success on the battlefield because of these things. And and I, and I think I think there were and, and I, I said from personal experience because I have personal experience uh, about T-72s and and Russian uh, Russian weapon systems and how primitive. And how behind they were as compared to the West. And I have to admit, I didn't even realize how behind they were relative to the West. Uh, and I, I think that has all played out uh, during the war. The, the, the fact that the 
Russians are unmotivated and that their weapon systems suck. I think a third element, which I did not realize, but which has become real, very, very real, and is becoming real every single day, is is just the, I don't know what the term, how to call this, I don't know, maybe strategic decadence, the fact that Russia has no strategy, the fact that Russians still fight wars like they do, uh, like they did 80 years ago, the fact that Russia's way of fighting wars is just to throw troops and tanks and weapon systems at a problem and just frontal assault. And, and uh, you know, the way the Russians are fighting this war is just, it's just shocking and horrific it, and, and, and lacks any sense of strategy and certainly lacks any sense of caring about casualties and caring about how many people on your side are, are, are killed. Um, a complete disregard for Russian soldiers' lives. I mean, I've always known the Russian weapon systems, at least Soviet weapon systems. Uh, d- d- you know, there was no real concern about protecting your own soldiers. But I would have expected in the 21st century in, in, in Russia and no longer Soviet Union that there'd be some concern and some rethinking of strategy and some thought about how to, how to, uh, how to strategize here. Nothing. I mean, a, a complete, a, a complete uh, you know, ignorance of, of military strategy and a complete uh, you know, inability to... to to adjust strategy based on uh, based on what's happening on the battlefield, a, 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 you know, basically in Bakhmut right now. I mean, Russian soldiers are fighting trench warfare, World War One style trench warfare, to try to recapture a town. They've been fighting for it for six months. They have lost thousands and thousands and thousands of troops uh, killed and maimed on this one battlefield for this one little village or one little town. And they made almost no progress. I mean, they've made some progress, but very little progress at the cost of thousands and thousands of lives. And they just keep coming. No reconsideration, no change of strategy, no trying to find a weak, uh, you know, weakness in the, in the, um, uh, in the uh, Ukrainian uh, front line, no attempts to go around, nothing, just head on straight. Boom. And 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 just complete and utter disaster, uh, disaster consequences uh, to the whole thing. Um, so, uh, you know, Russia here is is uh, is losing uh, tens of thousands of troops, uh, by some estimates, in terms of uh, killed and injured. The numbers of Russians is over well over two hundred thousand. Um, remember that when the war started, Russia. Uh, Russia invaded with 200,000 troops. Uh, today, we can say there are 200,000 casualties. What Russia has been doing over the last few months is sending, sending untrained young recruits who know very little about war and know very little, have very little training uh, to the front lines. It's why so many Russians are dying and so little progress is being made. Uh, this is a barbaric way of fighting a war, and it's it's... It's, you know, this is a, a mentality of suffering, a mentality of uh, uncaring about human life uh, that is, I think, in the world in which we live right now, uniquely Russian. Um, and, you know, maybe the Muslims, uh, Islamists, the radical Islamists share this attitude towards complete disregard for individual life. But, it, but it's truly rare in the modern world to see people just throw the lives of tens of thousands of people and not care, just not care. And 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 let me just say, this reminds me of of 
of, of this issue about Putin's war. This is not Putin's war. This is Russia's war. Um, this is not one man launching a, a war just for his own ego. His own ego plays a big role in this. But this is a whole system, a whole system of government, a whole system, a whole regime, a whole regime that is basically being supported by the Russian people, if only by their own acquiescence and the fact that they have not rebelled and not argued against it and not uh, uh, you know, uh, stood up against Putin over the last 20 years as he has uh, solidified his power. Uh, you know, what, what has happened... Uh, what has happened and the consequence of the Putin regime is not new. It's not a surprise. It's not, and yet the Russian people have allowed it to happen. Uh, it, you know, it, it, this is a war of the entire Russian elite: the, the oligarchs, the generals, the Politburo members, the 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 the, the rest of the uh, business and military class that allow Putin to do this. This is not. This is not. I don't care how scared they are. If they're scared, they deserve it, right? If they're paralyzed by fear, they deserve it. This is Russia's war. Russia is to blame. Uh, the Russian people are to blame. If, you know, 200,000 of them are dying and being maimed. They can't rise up against Putin? They can't destroy Putin? Of course they can. They lack the will. They lack the will. And, and, and many of them, and maybe a majority of them, buy into you know Putin's... Uh, Putin's illusions. Now, one second. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, indeed, uh, you know, it's, again, it's a year to the war, and we can look back and, and uh, we can see the extent of, of Russian really uh, defeat. Yes, they, ca- they took a lot of land in the first few, uh, the first week or so of the conflict. Since then, Russia has basically been in retreat. They, they retreated from Kiev and they, they, they retreated uh, from the northeast. They were then completely pushed back uh, from uh, areas of Luhansk province and, uh, and recently they were pushed back out of Gerson, out of the city and much of that province. Russia still occupies big uh, swaths of Ukraine and the Ukrainians certainly uh, are struggling to uh, put together the forces, both in terms of the numbers of troops and in terms of the tanks and weapon systems that they would need to reoccupy, uh, to, to retake all of the land uh, taken from them by force by Putin. But they are, they are building towards that. They are, they are uh, Ukrainian troops being trained in Poland, being trained in the UK. Indeed, uh, the British king visited the, the, the Ukrainian troops being trained in the UK. Weapon systems are flowing into Ukraine, whether those are weapon systems of long-range artillery, more long-range artillery, more ammunition, uh, uh, tanks. Uh, the tanks are not the greatest tanks in the world. A lot of Leopard 1s, unfortunately. Uh, some Leopard 2s, those are super-duper really good tanks, but Leopard 1s will do the job, certainly, against Russian tanks. Um, Leopard 1s are the older generation of tanks that the Europeans are supplying, um, but Leopard 2 are the new generation tanks that are also being supplied uh, they're going to get some Abrams tanks down the road. Who knows when that'll happen exactly, but they will get them at some point. Um, and, uh, and, and they are building up a military, and they will build up their military capabilities so they can take on uh, Russian forces uh, and, and kick them out of the rest of Ukraine. And, and I think that's very doable, and I think that Putin knows that, and I think the Russian knows that. At the same time, I've said this many times on the show over the last year, 
But uh, Russia's lost no matter how you, you know, what happens from now on. They're not going to take Ukraine. They're not going to conquer Ukraine. <clears throat> they might still put up a fight. I mean, latest reports suggest that the Russians are amassing troops on the Belarus-Ukrainian border. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. To the north of Kiev, they, may, they might take another shot at trying to take Kiev. I do not think they have the capabilities of doing that. Uh, the forces that will try this out of Belarus are even uh, less well-equipped and, and less well-trained than the, than, the, than the troops that tried to do this um, last year. Uh, so, uh, but, but you could see another front opening in the north of Ukraine, which would be really tragic, uh, but um, could nevertheless extend the war and, and make it more difficult for Ukraine but it could very well happen. It could be kind of what Putin is hoping for as a resolution for all of this. Uh, so, so uh, all of that is uh, all of that is true. But look, Putin's lost. Uh, uh, Sweden and Finland, in spite of Turkey and in spite of everything, I think Sweden and Finland will become members of NATO. That opens up a new NATO border with Russia that is longer than the Ukrainian border. It is a massive defeat for Putin to have Sweden and Finland as members of NATO. Uh, Sweden and Finland uh, are both uh, not only have a long border with, uh, with uh, Russia, but they are both countries that produce actual weapon systems. They're both countries that are, incre- that are industrialized. They're both Western advanced countries. They're, they've got very, very well-trained militaries. militaries. They would be very motivated uh, fighting on their own border, the Finns, have a history uh, with the Russians in terms of fighting and holding them back. Um, so, um, yes, I, so, so I think just that is a massive blow uh, to Russia, not something the Russians expected, not something at all the Russians expected. I think the fact that Western Europe, or Europe generally, has stuck together and stuck together in, in opposition to Russia, now we'll see if that hold, uh, you know, there's, uh, there always seems to be, the Germans always seems to be tempted away uh, but it, it seems to be holding so far. The French seem to be getting more committed uh, rather than less committed. Uh, we, we, you know, you, you've got Germany, you've got, I, I mean, Western Europe uh, seems to be so far united in, in support of Ukraine. And that is a massive achievement that nobody expected. Uh, and, uh, and, and all these weapon systems flowing into Ukraine is a tribute to that. And then, um, so that uh, is massive. And then finally, Russia is defeated by the very fact that it has been shown to be a paper tiger, super vulnerable, super weak, um, you know, super pathetic, whiny. I mean, I don't know if you st- we'll talk about Putin's speech in a minute. So, uh, you know, the, the, Russia is now by, by you know, I think, I think uh, there's no question that Russia is today a third-rate power. Um, it is uh, it is not a multipolar world where Russia stands uh, opposite the United States as another pole that is uh, that can uh, move the world in one way or the other. There's only one viable 
alternative to uh, to the United States in terms of the geopolitics, the world politics, and that's China. Uh, Russia has taken itself out of the running completely. The only chance that Russia has to continue this war in Ukraine um, and uh, and not to give up territory and to keep fighting and and to uh, is for China to start uh, providing it with uh, ammunition and with uh, with military technology. Uh, if China did this, uh, Russia would then be basically a satellite state of the Chinese. Um, this would be a Chinese world, an American and Chinese world, and Russia would be a non-entity. And, and it would be very clear to the Russians. Russia alone cannot sustain a battle against the West. Russia has to have China. I'm not sure that China has to have Russia. The advantage that China has in having Russia is that Russia can keep Europe and the U.S. occupied in Europe, and China can work to try to dominate Asia. And that's why China would like to have Russia. But Russia becomes then a satellite state. Putin becomes a satellite of Xi. Xi becomes the dominant player in the world outside of, um, you know, outside of, um, uh, you know, the United States of America. So uh, Russia loses no matter what, even if it gets Chinese support, Russia as a power, Russia as a force, Russia as an entity that needs to be dealt with uh, in, in the world is finished, basically. Um, and uh, and, and uh, one way or the other, the era now is an era of the United States. From, again, from a, from, a, from a kind of global politics perspective, this is, this is now an era of uh, China and the United States, and Russia has no part of it. Russia has no, no part to play um, in, in many respects. Russia was already a non-entity, but I think this uh, Putin's mistake in going to war uh, basically is going to make Russia a, a, a completely irrelevant and completely non-entity and completely irrelevant to world politics in the years to come. Uh, finally, uh, Putin did give a speech last, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, or the day before yesterday, I can't keep track of the days anymore. Um, uh, where he laid out kind of uh, the reasons for invading for invading Ukraine and his all his grievances against the West, the grievances keep to keep uh, keep shifting. Um, uh, you know, it used to be. Uh, um, let me just find. I'm looking for something uh, that I wanted to. Yeah, not that, not that. Anyway. Um, uh, put his speech with all the grievances against the West. Uh, you know, uh, the West did this, the West did that. The West is decadent. Uh, the West is, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it used to be that uh, last speech he gave, the speech before this last one, he said, yeah, the West is decadent. They have parent number one and parent number two. You know, he, he's, he's, he's big on this uh, woke stuff. And then he says, uh, so this speech, he didn't use parent number one, parent number two. This speech... Um, the West, uh, the West is evil because it is uh, in decadent, and and um, because it's and, and Russia stands up against this decadence, and Russia is the is the savior of Western civilization. Although he doesn't use those terms, that's Jordan Peterson's terms, because uh, you know because world culture is normalizing pedophilia and promoting the idea of a gender neutral god. That's what really offends Putin is uh, that the West is promoting a gender-neutral God, which, which, I, which is somewhat true at the Church of England. I talked about this on a previous show, but uh, who cares? 
God should be gender neutral. It's bizarre to have a gender for God. Does God have sex? Um, does God have a sex? So he did his usual thing, you know, uh, uh, Ukrainian Nazis and neo-Nazis, and he's purifying Ukraine from the Nazis. Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's fascinating how, um, you know, the left, you know, the left and right have to use these, uh, uh, you know, uh, extreme labels on anybody who they disagree with in order to delegitimize them and in order to be able to say and do whatever they want against them. So many times, if anybody's on the left, they were communist, um, and that, you know, communism is clearly evil, and therefore, uh, therefore it's okay to do whatever with them. I've, I've, I've seen many people do that. Um, if, if you're on the right, you're automatically a Nazi. Of course, for Putin, Putin, who's considered like a, a fascist more than a socialist, so he needs to create, he can't call the Ukrainians communists, he calls them Nazis to illustrate that he, he is the good guy. Nazi is a great term to use because everybody knows Nazis are evil. That's unequivocal. That's easy. What makes the Ukrainian Nazis? Nobody knows. Nobody knows, right? Uh, all the supposed uh, atrocities of the Ukrainians against Russian speaker, speakers in Donbass, uh, while, um, while they, I'm sure there were some uh, really bad actions that the uh, Ukrainians took towards uh, Russian speakers in the Donbass. Most of what you hear about that is Russian propaganda. Uh, most of uh, the damage in the Donbass was, uh, was at the uh, Kremlin's instigation uh, and the support of the Kremlin, and it was done by the pro-Russia element in the Donbass attacking, uh, attacking Ukraine. Uh, so uh, while I don't think Ukraine is an innocent, far from perfect, and certainly not a free, a, a, a pro-capitalist free society. It is light years better as a society, and is light year more innocent than uh, Russia is in this entire, uh, this entire conflict. At the end of the day, what motivates Putin and what motivates the Russian elite is a mystical notion of a greater Russia. Is a mystical, you know, uh, Putin said in his speech the other day. He said explicitly that Ukraine is part of Russia, uh, that it is, it, it, it's an artificial, it's completely artificial that Ukraine was separated from Russia. Uh, Ukraine is a part of Russia. Ukraine is Russia. Uh, of course, so is Moldova. So is, so is other places around Europe, potentially parts of this great Russian empire. Uh, you know, and and uh, there's absolutely no reason to believe that if he was successful in Ukraine, he wouldn't try to take Tbilisi in Georgia. He wouldn't try to... Uh, you wouldn't try to get Kazakhstan back under the umbrella of, of, of Russia. It is under the umbrella, but under explicit, explicit rule of the Russians. So, look, I mean, this is, uh, this is a Russian war of aggression. This is a Russian war of expansion. This is, a, this is Russia's fault from beginning uh, to end. I, that has been clear from the beginning. It becomes clearer and clearer as we move, uh, as, as the war has evolved. And the, and the reality is, the more the more Putin uh, talks, the more he tries to explain himself, the more he explains what's going on, the clearer it becomes uh, that, that everything we have said, uh, that I've said, that others have said about Putin's motivations, about Russia's motivations, are true. Russia are the bad guys here, unequivocal. All right, 
let's see. Let's take some of these um, uh, questions. I'll start with questions specifically on um, on um, the war. Uh, this is from uh, Vlad. Vlad says, uh, it is clear by now that there's no military purpose in whatever Russian army is doing after initial failure near Kiev. The goal is political, to keep the appearance of a war as unwinnable by Ukraine as long as possible. I think that's right. I, I still think there is some, uh, and, and I think uh, a self-delusion among uh, Russian elites. I think, you know, as, as, as we know, politicians uh, and, and bad people uh, can delude themselves for a very, very long time. Uh, you, know, you know, for how long did Hitler think that he could still somehow pull it out uh, and somehow still win or at least somehow still uh, maintain power and stay, uh, you know, uh, uh, keep the allies away. Uh, it was obvious, it was obvious, uh, you know, from, from the success of D-Day that his days were numbered and yet he kept on going and the, Russian, and the, and the Germans kept on fighting. So uh, accepting defeat, acknowledging defeat is something that requires of, of, a, of, a, of a nation in at war, in battle, is something that often, uh, you know, uh, leaders cannot accept and cannot get their arms around and will not recognize. And again, since they don't value, and since Putin and his thugs don't value human life, they don't value their own soldiers' lives, they are basically playing a game now of dragging it out. Uh, Putin, once in a while, will threaten uh, use of nuclear weapons, just again, to, to, to cause the West to pause. I do think Putin can rationalize saying, well, Western support will crumble. Well, my threats of nuclear using nuclear weapons will ultimately, will ultimately get, them, uh, get the West to stop supporting the Ukrainians. Uh, so I don't think it, it's the case that Putin and the Russian elite know they've lost. And now, you know, they just want to keep up appearances. I, I think they keep I, I think if they, if they, you know, if they were honest, then yes. But I don't think they're honest. So I, I think they keep deluding themselves. They keep evading. They keep rationalizing, and and keep coming up with new things. Now Russia has, has, has exited the uh, nuclear treaty with the United States, and they think that's going to put pressure on. Well, even though, I'd say, hey, let me let me do this. Hello. I have a, I had a late checkout. I'm, I'm an ambassador, so I thought I had a late checkout. But I will be checking out at at one fifteen. I've got a car coming to pick me up at one fifteen. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Hotel thought I was checking out. I'm not. Anyway, um, uh, Russia is exiting the last nuclear treaty it had with the United States. It was going to exit it anyway. It, 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 these treaties are meaningless. Russia doesn't abide by them anyway. Uh, so that is, again, just, just a, a little threat to try to influence the West, but it, it, it will go, it, it seems to be going nowhere. But yes, I, I think the Russian elites are still deluding themselves. Um, and, and as long as they can throw more troops in, uh, they will continue to do so. Uh, there, is, there is some limit, I think, that they recognize, and that's why they're not doing mass call-up and, and, uh, of, of uh, new 
troops because they realize uh, that it, there is a limit uh, to what they can do internally in Russia. There is a limit to how many young men they can send into the battlefield to be killed, both from an economic perspective and a political perspective. But they are, they will drag this out as, as long uh, as possible, and they will use as many threats as possible to try to get uh, the West to waver in its support of Ukraine. Uh, Shazbot, did the Russians train their generals by showing them Black Adder goes forth? Um, <laughs> God, that is one of the funniest and saddest shows you will ever see. It's it, Black Adder, the fourth season, uh, which is uh, set in on the trenches at World War One, is both hysterically funny and really depressing to to, to think of of that kind of warfare and what they did and how stupid that war was. World War One was the dumbest war ever. Uh, all right, let's see. Okay, Adam Campbell says, um, Morning from the United States. Thanks for doing videos while traveling. By the way, many bedside humidifiers that use simple disposable water bottles are easy to pack and a game changer for hotel air. Another example of superior Western technology. Hey, I look for that. That's interesting. Although the way I pack, I, I, I really don't have any room. Um, okay, uh, Kirill asks, uh, Michael Shermer had a tweet where he said that regulated capitalism has been one of the biggest drivers of human progress, while unregulated capitalism led to bank real estate failures like 2008. He cited Turkey as being the former. Turkey? Turkey? I, I don't get that. Anyway, yeah, Michael Shermer is wrong and, and confused and mistaken, and it, the whole thing is bizarre. Uh, he, Michael Shermer should know better, and he... he He's friendly with a lot of good economists who could, who could straighten him out. Um, unregulated capitalism before the financial crisis? Give me a break. 2008, 2008, 2007, banks were not regulated. Mortgages were not bank regulated. Real estate was not regulated. Then we didn't have, I forgot. That's right. We didn't have a central bank in, before 2008. It was just established, right? It, it's just a waste of, it, it's just mind-boggling how smart people can hold such stupid views. Justin, who is the... Oh, I answered that already. Okay, uh, Matthew, uh, thousands of Russians are at war, so it's Russia's war, not Putin's. Yes, but, but thousands of Russians and, and millions of Russians support the war, and maybe tens of millions of Russians support Putin. So this is Russia. This is the Russian people. This certainly Russian elites and Russian, you know, uh, uh, the people who, who govern and run Russia are, are responsible here, and I think it's, it's a complete mistake um, to attribute the atrocities of this war just to Putin and, and give the Russian people and the Russian elites uh, a pass. Kirill, sorry, I meant the latter. He thinks unregulated capitalism is the cause of Turkey's death count due to the earthquake. Yeah, that's a pretty standard, that's a pretty standard um, accusation. That is the reason the, the buildings collapsed in Turkey is because there wasn't enough regulation and building codes. But the fact is there were regulations and building codes in Turkey. That's why some buildings didn't fall, you know. But what happens in a system like Turkey, where there's no rule of law and there are no consequences, and uh, there's no insurance and there no, there's no monitoring of quality of building, uh, except by the government, uh, what happens is the government bureaucrats are easy to bribe. And uh, so you bribe uh, the government bureaucrat and you build whatever building you want. So yes, systems, um, uh, undeveloped systems of, of property rights and, and systems that are not developed 
uh, with respect to, to human life, um, don't protect human life. And, uh, and government regulations, they are government regulations, they are building codes in Turkey. Anti-earthquake building codes in Turkey. And, and they're arresting people right now who built those buildings that collapsed. But because, uh, because government bureaucrats are bureaucrats, they are open to bribes, and they're open to bribery more so in poor countries than in rich countries, but they're still open to bribes even in rich countries. Uh, I would trust a private building inspector who works for an insurance company much more than I trust a government bureaucrat who works for the government. And um, we don't have an unregulated, uh, uh, true, free market, capitalist, unregulated building code environment. And if we had, what you would see was uh, that you would have alternatives to, to government regulations or building codes. You would have... Uh, uh, building codes uh, that, were in, that were privatized through insurance companies and banks and other entities that might have a, a uh, interest in uh, the quality of the building, um, and maybe maybe uh, people who are putting down payments on buying uh, their apartments might might hire inspectors. There are all kinds of ways to do this. Um, in, in, in those. Uh, um, you know, in a free market, mechanisms would evolve to make sure buildings are built well. Plus, in, in a, just in a place that respects human life, builders, and builders who build reputations, build good buildings because they don't want their people dying and, you know, they don't want to, to kill people. Uh, Bash Banigan says, what might be the implications be if in actuality most of the entire Russian military is destroyed in Ukraine? So they're only left with a nuclear force. Well, I think, I think as long as Ukraine does not invade Russia, as long as Ukraine does not cross into what territory is recognized as Russia, and I don't think the West or the United States would support them doing that, and I don't think they want to do it, as long as there wasn't an attempt to occupy Moscow, I don't think there would be a consequences. I do not think that the Russian elite, as bad as it is, is suicidal. I do not think that they would start a nuclear war unless they believe they were dead anyway. So, um, uh, but their families and everybody else, so, so if, 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 if the West attacked Moscow, yes. But if the West left Moscow and, and, and just allowed uh, the Ukrainians to push the Russians back to the 2014 border, get the Russians out of Crimea, um, I, I, I don't think there would be any consequence. The consequence would be a weakened, uh, horrified Russia that would have to find ways to rearm itself, but probably wouldn't for a long, long, long time, for decades, because it would have to rebuild its economy, it'd have to rebuild its society. I mean, imagine how many hundreds of thousands of men would have been lost. It, society, cultural-wise, it would be a decimated country. And, and that could happen. I, I do not think uh, Putin would use nuclear weapons. Again, unless Russia itself, mainland Russia, was threatened. Uh, Michael says, when is your next long-form show? I have a ton of great questions I'd like to ask. Um, I don't know, maybe tonight, uh, tonight, I eat Tbilisi time, so afternoon for your time. If not, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll try to do a show each one of those days. Um, today is a short show because I do have to go catch an airplane. Uh, Daniel, thank you. appreciate the support. And Alejandro says, I'm still waiting for the WTI to in inevitably hit $300 as Rabbi Jordan Peterson predicted. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's going to happen any day now. Um, 
And uh, yes, if you remember Jordan Peterson, I, I, I made fun of him a little bit for this. I think he, he deserved it. Uh, Jordan Peterson, if you remember at the beginning of the war, middle of, or, or late into the war, uh, predicted that uh, oil would be sending, selling at $300 a barrel because Putin was all-powerful and uh, that this war was destructive for the West and Putin would use nuclear weapons if he, if, if he was, was going to lose and on and on and on Jordan went. And of course, Putin for Jordan. Uh, and this is, this is the thing that, that and, and I don't understand. I, I don't know if other people at Daily Wire think this as well, but Putin is the representative of Western civilization. Putin, this is a civil war within Western civilization with Putin being the good guy because Putin's anti-trans. And Putin's anti-gay, and Putin's anti-the decadence of Western culture. So therefore, Putin is on, on, on Jordan Peterson's side. Jordan Peterson is on Putin's side. So it's sad that Putin went to war. That's not really the way friends resolve disputes. But from Jordan Peterson's perspective, Putin is fighting neoliberal decadent West. And this is what you hear also from other people on the right, uh, Europe is, and, and uh, the Biden administration is, uh, decadent, uh, and, and Putin is fighting it. It's good, good for Putin. We support Putin. All right. Ariel says, good night from New Zealand, watching with my cat. I don't know. What time is it in New Zealand right now? I have no idea what time it is. New Zealand's like that way. It's, um, it's ahead of me, right? So it's, yes, it's evening. So it's Thursday evening, whereas in uh, New York, it's m- very early in the morning. Okay. So. All right, everybody. Um, thanks. Uh, I have to run to, ca- to get, get, to get a, a car to the airport to catch my flight to Tbilisi. I will probably... Oh, it's already after midnight. Wow, it's already after midnight in, in New Zealand. All right. Wow. I sh- yeah. Yeah. Um, I love New Zealand, so Ariel, um, I, I hope to uh, visit you guys uh, one day. It would be great to give a talk in New Zealand. Um, I love, uh, New Zealand is just a beautiful, beautiful place. Maybe the most beautiful place I've ever been to was the southern island of New Zealand. All right, thank you for all the Super Chat supporters. Thank you for all of you. Um, don't forget to just keep an eye out on your YouTube feed because uh, I will be doing more shows from the road. Uh, and I will be broadcasting some of my lectures that I do uh, live. Um, uh, so, uh, so thanks. Oh, it's it's almost one a.m. Friday morning. Um, all right. Uh, Kiro says uh, Michael Schumer cited a book called "The Big Myth" by Nomi Oresikas and Eric Conway, uh, which is about how American business toss us to loathe government and love the free market. I don't know if you know this book. I don't. It's a new book. But it's basically a book that that supports regulatory, you know, the idea of we need re- to regulate business. We need to regulate, and and the whole idea of free markets is a is a conspiracy led by businessmen to try to convince us to reduce regulations on them. Regulations are great. Regulations allow us all the wealth and prosperity we have today, according to the book. The book is a big lie. Um, but I haven't read it yet, uh, so I can't review it and can't give you info. But just from the little I've seen of it, it's awful. All right, everybody, I do have to run. Uh, so, uh, again, thank you for the support. Thank you for being here. And I'll see you maybe later today, but certainly in the days to come.